Hey there, do you love pet content and want more of it? If so, please hit the subscribe button. Your support helps keep this content free and lets me know you're enjoying the show. So please hit that subscribe button and maybe even give us a review while you're at it. Thank you. It's a tale as old as time. You need to bring your pet to the vet and you're both dreading it. It's stressful for you both and you know that your pet is not going to be very cooperative. Dr. Vicki Carmella has seen this scenario play out over and over again. In fact, she recently had a patient who made an impression on her, not for his bad behavior, but rather because of how she was able to help him and his pet parent rewrite their story. Just a few months ago, I had a case of a medium-sized dog, kind of a mixed breed, 50 pounds, that came in with the owner stating that the dog was squinting and just having some eye discharge and not himself. So it's the first time I'm meeting this dog, and we'll just call him Baxter to protect his identity. Um, But it's the first time I'm meeting Baxter, and, you know, I go into the room. I immediately can tell that he is on guard. His tail is just not in the right position. His ears are kind of pinned. He's just, I can tell he's apprehensive to, to see me. And it's the first time I'm meeting him, so I don't really know what I'm getting into. Of course, there is a learning curve whenever a vet is treating a new patient. But with Baxter, Dr. Vicky knew she needed to go the extra mile to even get close to him. So I use a lot of tactics like having treats. I always have a million and one treats in every pocket when I'm in a clinic. And I try to do a little puppy talk and try to get Baxter on my side. But he's super nervous as he should be. We don't know each other. There's a lot of noises and smells and sounds in an animal hospital. So now I have to get a good look at Baxter and he definitely has clinical signs of conjunctivitis. Conjunctivitis is the clinical name for pink eye, an inflammation of the eyelid that requires a full examination of the eye for diagnosis. And I go to touch Baxter and he immediately growls and lunges at me. And I can tell Baxter's not trying to hurt me at all. He is just a nervous wreck and doesn't want his face touched. Dr. Vicky did what she could to treat Baxter, but it was not easy. And she knew that ultimately, this behavior could become a long-term problem for Baxter and his mom. After all, it's not like this was the only time Baxter would ever need to go to the vet, right? And so I started having a conversation with Baxter's mom and said, you know, gosh, we really need to work with him because here he is. I've got to assess his eyes. We've got to treat his conjunctivitis. But if he won't let me near him, we're not going to get anywhere. So I spent about 40 minutes in the room with Baxter and used several different treats. And he still wouldn't let me put eye drops in or do anything by the end of that exam. But I had this conversation with mom and said, you know, this is something that we can overcome. He's a two-year-old dog. His whole life, we're going to be needing to look in his mouth, look in his eyes, look in his ears. And there's a lot of different things we can do from a training perspective. And his mom was blown away. She thought, this is just Baxter. Like, there's no touching his face. She was nervous she wouldn't be able to give him his eye medication. So I explained to her, like, the first rule of thumb is treats, treats, treats. According to Dr. Vicky and many other pet experts, treat training is one of the best ways pet parents can help not only train their pets, but also help ease their anxiety in situations like going to the vet or to the groomers or other anxiety-inducing activities. So Dr. Vicky talked to Baxter's mom about what she could do to help Baxter and how treat training could work. 
We are here to make peace. We need to change up the value of our treats and she needs to work with a trainer. And the bottom line, Baxter came back a couple months later for a recheck. I could look at his eyes. He had worked with the trainer. We had implemented various treat protocols with him to get him to feel comfortable and know that this was not something that was going to hurt him. We were there to help him. And I just love a story like that because Baxter, this two-year-old dog who his whole life would have gone through this not being able to be treated when medically necessary or examined when medically necessary, simply because his mom, his parents, his owners didn't know that there were resources to help overcome those fear responses that we had seen in him. The good news is that Baxter's story is not the exception to the rule. You too can have a great outcome with your dog or cat. Any kind of pet parent who has a furry friend who is fearful or who simply needs some extra training can immediately use the treat training method to improve their pet's lives. How? We'll get into that right after the break when we talk to our two guests, Dr. Vicki Carmella, who leads the Veterinary Scientific Affairs Team at Blue Buffalo, and Dr. Britannia Jones, a professional services veterinarian for Blue Buffalo. Stay with us. While training my puppy, Teddy, I've been using a few kinds of treats. By far, his favorites are blue sizzlers. These bacon-style treats are made with real USA pork as the first ingredient, and wow, does Teddy love them. And I do too, because they're easy to tear into small pieces for training. If you're looking to up your treat game, get Blue Sizzlers wherever you buy pet treats. And don't forget to download the Buddies app to earn points on your purchases. So welcome to Life with Pets, Dr. Victoria. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Dr. Britannia, thank you for joining us. It's a real pleasure. Amazing. So right off the bat, we got two vets here. As a pet parent, I bring my dog Ozzy to the vet. He's a nervous Nelly. He shakes. He like doesn't like to be there, but he's not like aggressive or anything. He'll let you do whatever you want to him. Like you can poke him, you can prod him, you can open his mouth, whatever you want. Literally stands there like a statue and was like, are we done yet? Um, And I know that so many pet parents have similar stories or even different stories where, you know, you can't even get close to the animal when you're at the vet. So I want to just like, from the jump, talk about how common is this problem that you both see? Like how often are pet parents coming in with very scared pets? I would say it's very common. You know, when I'm in a clinic, at least half of my patients coming in while I'm in a shift are nervous about being there. And I don't blame them. An animal hospital is a busy place. There's so many sounds and smells and people talking and barking and duh, there's so much happening. And so we don't blame them for being nervous. It's so common. And I think the work that we have to do to really alleviate their fear and anxiety in that moment starts with the moment they get in the car to come to the hospital. And I would have to say, you know, and, and part of their response is not just from the clinic, although the clinics, you know, are just slammed. You got dogs and cats coming and going and people trying to have conversations and talking over each other. And depending on what they're there for, the owners are nervous and a little bit scared. Maybe they've found something and they're afraid that it's cancer. And and that fear transmits to the pet as well. Or maybe they've had a bad experience in the past and they're anticipating that. 
So it's not just the pet that we're trying to make comfortable. It's the, the, their family members that come with them as well. You know, we all hear that story about somebody who schedules a, a vet appointment to take their cat in and they'll say, I swear to God, the cat knew we were going to go in that day. I can't find the cat, you know. Well, of course, she, the cat was picking up on all the nonverbal communications that's going on with the pet parent. So we have a, a real responsibility to try to make it easier for everybody involved. That's so true. Even we'll joke when I take Ozzy, it's like he knows the route. Like he'll get more and more nervous as we get closer and closer oh, to yeah. the vet. I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. We'll like try to trick him and go a different way. And he's like, I know where we are. But I'm glad that I'm not alone here. And like, this is a common problem. But now I want to figure out, okay, but how do we fix it? Like, I know that there are ways that we can go about retraining or training our pets to not be so fearful uh, of the vet or generally, you know? So let's talk a little bit about what are some of the ways that pet parents can do treat training or other kinds of training to help alleviate this kind of pain or nervousness or anxiety, parents and pets generally. Dr. Britannia, you brought out a really good point um, regarding cats. You know, so many of my clients will say they couldn't get their cat in the carrier. And then I'll ask, well, where do you keep your carrier? And it's like, well, the carrier's in the basement 364 <laughs> days of the year, and I take it out the one day I'm going to come see you. And to me, that's a red flag. If that carrier is only out an hour before that cat is supposed to get in it and come see me, that cat's already nervous. So one of the things we can simply do is condition the pet to whatever device we need to bring them in, whether it's um, a harness to get them in the car, a seatbelt, safety device for a dog, a carrier for a cat. Keep those things out, visible, try them before you have to bring them anywhere. And that's not just going to the vet. That's if you have to bring them to the groomer or to a boarding facility. You know, make sure that they're comfortable with those devices and cases and carrying mechanisms. For cats, it's easy. I keep a carrier out when I have a cat in my house and I keep the carrier out. You don't have to keep it out 24-7. You know, when you're having company, you can certainly put it away. But keep it out. Put some treats in it once in a while. Take it out on a Sunday. Let your cat sniff around and be comfortable in it. Same thing with the dogs. You know, if I use a mesh um, seatbelt in the car, I'm putting that on my dog on occasion or driving around the block if they're car sick so that I'm conditioning them to be okay to take a vehicle ride. Absolutely. And I've even done this with my own dog. Um, I've got a great Dane Winston. And with COVID, of course, where clinics were doing curbside service and things, and he, it was time for him to go in for his neutering. And I was concerned about, because he's 150 pounds, you know, <laughs> yeah. if he doesn't want to go somewhere, chances are he's not going to go there. <laughs> so, you know, and I was concerned about their ability to interact with him during the time he was in the clinic and I wasn't. So I made arrangements and we would just, we'd go in and sometimes it was nothing more than just going and sitting in the lobby or, or you know, handing him off at the doorway without him even necessarily going into the clinic giving him treats and we're talking with the technician and the technicians giving him treats and that was it. And then we'd go back home. And um, the one, one day, one of the, the gals that worked there, she worked on Sundays. 
that which normally the their office is closed on Sundays. But she's like, you know what? I'm here doing books anyway, where you can come in and we'll just do a walkthrough. And we did that on two different Sundays before his his surgery. And it made all the difference in the world. He was where he was leading, walking through all the different rooms and stuff, sniffing things out. He was totally comfortable with the technician that was allowing us to come in. You know, you have to give them something to solidify that thought that this is okay. This is a normal part of everyday life. And it is a time investment. It can make all the difference in the world. Yeah, I think that is so critical. You have to spend the time to help your pet. You can't just be like, oh, well, that's, you know, that's my pet. That's how they act and there's no changing it. So so what are some of the ways that we can spend time with our pets, training them with treats, doing things like walk walkthroughs, those kinds of activities that pet parents can be doing to train their pets in ways that are beneficial for their whole lives? Getting in the car is such an important thing. And you wouldn't believe how many, especially in a case like Dr. Britannia, where you have a 150-pound <laughs> dog, you wouldn't believe how often people have troubles getting their pets in the car. So I think that's one thing, you know, not only for vet visits, but can positive reinforcement, positive conditioning, and that's where treats come into play. And I also think it's important that when you're trying to elicit some behavior, whether it's loading up into the car or getting out and walking into the door of the animal hospital, you have an assortment of treats. So one size does not fit all when it comes to treat selection. You know, I think we're used to like buying the same bag of treats and that's what we use. But we have to think of like the hierarchy of value for treats. Yeah, I wanted to bring that up, like high value treats, low value treats. Like we hear these things and we're like, I don't know what's what, like what should I be doing? Yeah. (laughs) And every dog is different. Um, And cats too. Cats have serious preferences, whether they like a chicken flavor, whether they like a dual texture, whether they like semi-moist. So you have to find out what works for your pet. Luckily, I'm a Labrador owner and they will eat anything (laughs) under the sun. So we don't have a problem in my house with treat value. Um, But Britannia, is Winston a little more kind of selective with his treats? Yeah. And that's one of the challenges we have is when we're dealing with a dog or a cat that's not really food motivated, that can be a lot more difficult and you really have to find what's going to appeal to them. And so that takes a little bit of practice too, you know? So I've got a variety of different treats in my house according to what we're doing. But the vet clinics also have a variety of things depending on texture and scent and what their experience is for, you know, what some dogs will respond to or cats. It's kind of a trial and error to see But it also depends on how stressful the situation is, because the treat that I give him just for, you know, coming when he's called or we're playing fetch is different than when I'm filing his toenails or, you know, (laughs) using the sander, which he gets a treat after every toenail. But it makes all the difference in the world because he just lays there and lets me do it. I don't have to fight him. You need to be prepared with a variety of things, not only in your house, but for where you're going out. And if you anticipate that it's it's going to be a little more stressful situation, be armed, <laughs> you know, and have some some offerings on hand. 
And sometimes the novelty of the treat will attract them as well. For sure. But And that brings up a question that I've had that I've heard from other people. Like, can you be treating too much? Like, is there a line that you shouldn't cross as a pet parent? Like, you don't want to treat bad behavior, obviously. So like, what's what's that line where it's like, am I giving them too many treats? Like, am I treating them for the wrong thing? Like, how do you how do you distinguish? Yeah, that's a good question. So I try to positively reward behavior that we want to see. So if I, you know, think of basic training skills. So if you want your dog to sit and they sit, you give them a treat. If they're growling, I'm not giving them a treat at that moment, right? But it's that positive reward. And as Britannia said, like the novelty of treats. So in general, again, every flavor profile is different. Every pet has preferences. But in general, I kind of start out with maybe a biscuit type treat. So, um, you know, something that's like, you know, just a traditional dog biscuit or bone that you would think of. And then as I'm asking more, so maybe it's I'm going from sitting to giving me their paw so then I can, you know, start to think about doing a nail trim. As I'm asking more of them and I can see their level is heightening, I'm going to step up my game and maybe I'll go with something that's like a semi-moist treat, you know, something that's a little different. And then kind of in my house anyway, the the ultimate treat is a piece of dog, like a jerky type <laughs> yeah. treat, like, a, you know, that's the ultimate, something like a Sizzlers or something, oh, something yeah. like that. Ozzy loves one of those bacon guys. <laughs> yes. And I think, you know, in general, there's definitely a, an obesity epidemic in pets. So on a daily basis, we don't want to give them 50 treats, right? That's not our goal. But in moments where we're trying to work with them to train them for an event or to go to the vet or just to train them to be able to function in our household safely, right? And to keep our family members safe. It's appropriate to use the treats we need to in that moment. Of course, watching for signs after you have those training events, you know, watching for signs of intestinal distress or upset, then you might want to switch treats you're using or back off or try something else. But in general, when you're working with your pet at home, you're doing it in short snippets anyway. So it's not like you're, you know, working on getting in and out of the car, for example, for two hours. No, you're doing it for 10 minutes and you're treating them in that 10 minutes. And how many treats could you possibly (laughs) give in 10 minutes, right? You're not doing it over the course where you're giving them so many that it's going to be problematic. You're right, Vicki. And one of the things that, that I like is, if you're doing training above and beyond just trying to reward for good behavior, and there's the tiny little training treats, the little bits that have a good meaty flavor, but they're smaller. As Vicki said, trying to reward the desired behavior. And sometimes that's as simple as, you know, if you want their attention and they look at you, you can give them a little bit. So it reinforces that when the pet owner is saying, hey, I need you to, you know, I need to interact with you. Look at me. And that'll foster that attention. But two, you know, even when they're getting accustomed to going into the car and when they first jump in and you go, oh, good boy. And then you find wherever, you know, you're going to attach them to secure them and they're settled in and oh, good boy reinforcing that. Now, that doesn't mean you have to do it every time, but it fosters that belief that everything you're doing is a good thing. 
And it's not just the treats they eat, that it's your voice and how much affection you show to them. They're really tuned into that love. And so really giving them, you know, a hug or really ruffling their ears and going, oh, what a good boy, my gosh, you are just so good. That really reinforces on them too. So it doesn't always have to be edible treats. They can be interchangeable. But Vicki is also very correct that we have to be mindful of how many calories they're getting because we don't want to have them take in so many calories that they're not eating their regular food or that we may cause a, a weight problem. And that's another point where those tiny little training treats, the bits, really can be helpful. Have you heard about the True Blue Effect? It's pretty cool, and I've seen my dog Teddy thrive because of it. What I'm talking about are the seven benefits your dog could experience from the key ingredients in Blue Life Protection Formula. We're talking about healthy muscle development, immune system health, skin and coat health, healthy digestion, joint health, strong bones, and the one I see most of all in Teddy is vibrant energy for an active life. All of this is thanks to the quality ingredients in Blue Life Protection Formula. Try it now. My dog went deaf about a year ago. So like, I still find myself talking to him and like, good boy, good job. But like now I reinforce it more with like actual like touching him and, and giving him treats when I didn't used to need to give him treats for everything because I would just say, oh, good job. So like now I have changed my behavior because his needs have changed. But you know, when you're touching him and you're talking to him, he can feel the vibrations through your touch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, he definitely, he feels things for sure, so. I love what you said, Britannia, too, about um, affection being part of that treating protocol. One of my dogs is a lab puppy, and we just went through potty training, which is no easy task. So pet parents, I commend you all. It, it had been a while since I had been through it myself. And coaching my clients every day, I, I think I had forgotten just how hard it can be. And I said to my neighbors, like, you all must think I'm crazy because I am out there doing a song and dance <laughs> every time my dog goes to the bathroom. And I'm, you know, making such a big deal saying, oh, my gosh, Tiki, what a good job. <laughs> you went potty and kissing her and hugging, you know. And it's like, yeah, she's like, I just went to the bathroom. But it really is. They can feel so much from the energy and affection that we give them. And it's such a critical part of training aside from giving physical treats as well. Definitely. And it also kind of brings up, you are just teaching to go potty training, right? But my brother and sister-in-law have a cat and like the cat like ha is older, but sometimes we'll just like refuse to use the litter box and we'll like pee on the, on the rug in the living room. And like, how do you keep up with training like throughout an animal's life because sometimes they regress sometimes you know they get into bad habits so how do you bring that through throughout the life of your pet that's a good question one one of my other dogs is um a released guide dog so what that means is she went to school for two years to become a guide dog and she didn't quite make the cut and um, we always joke that the moment Ellie walked in our house, she forgot the two years of training, <laughs> intense training that she received. Like she just knew she'd never have to use it again. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's about being habitual. So it's so easy to say, okay, my puppy is a year now. He knows the basics or she knows the basics and not to keep up with it, but really like putting yourself and your pet on a schedule. 
I, you know, Sunday is the down day in our house. We're not working. Our kids aren't out, you know, out at sporting events usually. So that's the day where I say, okay, every Sunday morning, I'm going to work with my dogs for 30 minutes. And that's all it takes. It's 30 minutes once a week, if that. And I'm just going to reinforce and ask things of them like sit, give me paw, just as a reminder. um, And just, you know, it's part of really promoting our bond together as well. Now, in the case of your brother's cat, cats are pretty good. They follow, they know litter box things. So actually, one of the things that I talk to clients about, if a cat is urinating outside of a box, there's probably another reason they're doing it. Um, So whether it's they're having some urinary issues, sometimes it's just arthritis. It's hard to get to the box. So um, when we're having kind of defaults like that, that are, are not normal, I like to make sure that there's nothing else going on with the pet. Sometimes there's another cat in the house that's a new introduction and that upsets them. Well, they had a baby. So I think the baby was the trigger. Uh, <laughs> yes, that could definitely be the trigger. Um, so there's a lot of things we could do aside from treat and positive reinforcement and, you know, attractants in the litter. There's pheromone plugins and all sorts of things. But yes, upsetting the family dynamics can certainly make a cat choose to do um some other things. Generally speaking, though, can you train a cat? Like we know we can train dogs to do all these kinds of different tricks and commands and all this stuff. Can you train a cat like with treats or generally like, is that something that pet parents can do with their cats? Oh, yeah. It, and it just depends on how much time and patience you have. And, and the cat itself, whether or not, you know, their personality is such that they love that interaction. But, you know, when they're younger, and they are so playful. And that's a great time because they love to interact with people and to get their attention and to give them things to do. I think a lot of it is just it is so time intensive to really be able to do what you want to do. But, you know, if you've got both dogs and cats in the household and you're working on simple little things with your dogs, maybe it's sit or down or to come when they're called, oh, do it with the cat, too. They may not always be quite as quick as the dogs, but they can see the connection. They see what you're doing with the dogs and that that's what you want from them. And uh, you just, yeah, good attitude and, and catch them when they're in a good attitude and then have that, that reward system in place. You know, you touched on a point, too, about with your dog being 15 and segue to the cat. But sometimes we'll see these uh, issues with a pet you feel like they've forgotten their house training. And it's always helpful to remember that this could be, there could be a medical condition behind it. I know with older dogs, sometimes it's a a cognitive dysfunction and it's not so much that they've forgotten, but just their brain's not quite working the way it used to. Or maybe they don't even recognize the, the stimulus from their body that they need to go. Um, and sometimes with, you know, I think with older cats, that might be an issue as well. But it's always a good thought, you know, if if something is changing relatively quickly to go ahead and have them in and have them evaluated and tested and see if maybe there's a, a medical reason behind their behavior rather than think that they're, you know, being difficult or <laughs> the one thing I will say, though, if you got one of those little dogs and it's raining or snowing outside and they don't want to go outside. The only thing I can tell you is try to be prepared ahead of time and have a clean, dry area that they can go to. 
because otherwise, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna refuse to go out and do what you're asking. Yeah, you got yeah, to for Ozzy. I gotta go out. I gotta shovel up some grass so, yes, so you can see I, the grass. Too. And he's like, "Oh, I know this." <laughs> yeah, I've even my brother puts up a card table on his deck so that any snow doesn't. You know, there's a square right. area underneath <laughs> the card table, so it's close trick. enough to the door <laughs> that his little shisu can go out and go and they'll go right under there because it's it's relatively dry they don't have to climb through anything and then they come right back in (laughs) i'm like well that looks pretty smart i don't think my great dane will fit under the card table though but (laughs) that's still a great idea i would like to see a picture of him trying though please get winston (laughs) under that table (laughs) before we wrap up i do want to ask you ladies a question for pet parents who are training with treats how can we keep track of like progress? How can we, you know, make sure that we're doing the right things? If I'm in my buddy's app, can I be like tracking what I'm doing, like writing down progress reports? Like how do we how do we make sure that we're progressing in the right ways? You'll see the behavior, I'm assuming. How do you know if you're on the right track, so to speak? It can be tricky, right? And especially depending on what we're asking. You know, Britannia has done some agility training with her pets before. And so she's asking more of them because they're in a performance setting. My dogs don't have to do anything except be nice. <laughs> you know, I just say like, don't jump on my kids or steal food off the table and we're winning. <laughs> um, so it really just depends on what you're asking. And I'd like to say if you're having more positive interactions with what you're asking for than negative. That's how I'm gauging things. If we're going from, you know, hitting the mark 50% of the time to hitting the mark 70% of the time, that's progress. And I'll steal a quote from one of my favorite Peloton instructors. I don't know if anyone's a Peloton. Uh, Right here. Um, (laughs) Yes. But Jess Sims always says it's progress, not perfection. And that's it's so applicable to pet training as well. Although she also says you don't have to, you get to. I think you have to train your pets. I think that that one doesn't apply here. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Well, and I think, too, sometimes we think, well, you know, he needs to learn how to do this or we're going to do this. And we think of the whole thing as one step. When you can break it down into smaller steps, maybe it's just as simple as getting them to come when you called. And maybe they won't come all the way. Maybe, you know, but if they did a couple steps towards you, that's fantastic. And you have to really be patient because sooner or later, it'll click with them what you're asking them to do. Also, if a training session isn't maybe the dog's distracted, maybe it's not quite going as well as you'd like, always try to end it on a good note. So if they're not quite getting what you're asking them to do, ask them to do something they do know. I love that. That's amazing. Well, ladies, this has been amazing. So helpful, so informative. I want to ask a couple more things. The first being, what kind of resources would you connect people to? Do you have any websites, anything that people can go to, pet parents can go to, to get more information about training with treats, getting over fear of the vet, that kind of stuff? Yeah, so one um, resource I would recommend is I personally recently became fear-free certified. So if um, for any pet parents listening, if you're not familiar with fear-free, check it out. You can become a fear-free certified home 
You could become a Fear Freed Certified Veterinary Professional, Groomer, Trainer. Um, there's all different tracks. There's a lot to learn. And Fear Free, um, founded by Dr. Marty Becker, does just an amazing job walking through how to alleviate fear, anxiety, and stress in animals. And then, you know, the other thing is finding just really reputable trainers. Talk with your veterinarian. They always have recommendations of locals in the area that um, they have positive experiences with. There's no replacement for an excellent trainer to help you guide your pets um, in this process. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, you know, the local reputable trainers are fantastic, especially for socializing. That is hugely important. I think that's part of the reason we have pets that are a little more fearful today because they don't get the socialization that they used to. Um, so that socialization is hugely important. The Fear Free is a fantastic program. Like Dr. Vicki, I'm also Fear Free certified. And it makes you think about things in a way that you never considered. So like the surface of the floors or the way that the lighting is, um, sometimes that is um, creates an environment that makes the pet unsure of their safety. Um, and we don't see it because we're taller and we just have a different perception of our environment. So your veterinarian will be a great resource for you on that. And a lot of times they have a technician or somebody else on staff who also is a qualified trainer. But it's, you know, uh, it's well worth the time and the effort. You will have a fantastic relationship with your pet and you'll do so many more things with them. You know, more of a companion in all walks of your life. Love it. All right. Last question. Most important question. If you could be any animal in the world, what would you be and what would your favorite activity be? I am an elephant fanatic. Um, I think I would be an elephant. Um, they're the largest land mammal. And they're just, if, if you don't know anything about elephants, they're amazingly social animals. And um, they just, they're incredible, incredible animals. So I think I would be an elephant. I can't say I'm very surprised by that, Vicki. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, I really like that. I think for myself, um, I spent many decades uh, training and riding horses. And I, I have to say, I, I think horses are such beautiful animals with such spirit. And uh, you can have such a loving relationship with them that I think maybe that's what I would... I think that's what I would choose. Maybe that's why I have Great Danes, because they're big like horses. <laughs> <laughs> well, ladies, this has been so much fun. Thank you for taking the time. I really enjoyed having you both here. Thank you, Hillary. Awesome. Thank you, Hillary. You've been listening to Life with Pets, the show that combines real pet stories with proven guidance from pet professionals. I'm your host, Hillary Georgie, and I hope this show has been a great resource for you as a pet parent. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to download the Buddies app. This episode was produced by the team at mission.org.